Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach as well as a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I own Strength Guild and run the USSF. This is uh, Corey Krupp. I'm your guest today. I'm a former Division One baseball player, co-founder of Fala Foods, and a marketing major from Northern Illinois University. And uh, my name is Eric Bernstein. I'm also a co-founder of Fala Foods, um, a graduate of Winona State University, and a personal trainer and nutritionist. Cool. Now, where are you guys uh, calling from? We're calling from our new office in Lake Barrington, Illinois. Uh, it's about 50 miles outside of Chicago on the northwest side. Okay. And, we, and we've got some kind of athletic event going on in the background, it sounds like. Yes, um, we got a nice little deal here. Um, I'm actually a, a baseball coach here at this facility, so we got some nice cheap office space, which you, we need as a startup um, at a baseball, an indoor baseball facility. And okay. the tinging you hear in the background is aluminum bats connecting with baseballs. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, we're going to start off, everybody, with uh, some news. Uh, we're going to basically talk about uh, turning science into products. We're going to talk about a wellness slash nutrition company startup. Uh, we had uh, a listener mail just recently, and the specific request was to try to you know talk about businesses related to you know the strength game and how people start them. And um, listeners, Eric was uh, once a student of mine, and we just kind of got back in touch, and we were talking about some of this stuff, and I thought, how serendipitous is that? You know, so I've got all this news that's been coming across my desk about turning science into startups, and then Eric and I were speaking, uh, and then that listener, actually, and you know who you are, uh, made the comment, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about creating your own wellness-related business, and I think what's cool about these guys is it's not just a service like you so often see. I mean, that's interesting as well, but it's a product, you know, and how do you bring an idea uh, to market, so to speak? But let me start with a little bit of news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This first one is from uh, Nature Magazine, uh, Nature Jobs. Um, they have a great blog on Nature Magazine for the, you science folks out there. Uh, and this first one is called A Guide for the Innovator. Title here says, Researchers with product-worthy ideas can follow various, often underappreciated, paths toward commercialization, says Peter Fisk. So this whole thing is about how scientists are often doing research or they get exposed to something in a laboratory or in school. And then how do they commercialize that? So this is just an interesting blog where they talk about how Generally, you start off fairly unsure. You know, you don't always have the money to do things like hire the types of things that big corporations have, like a marketing manager and this and that. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that's come out of the these nature blogs is about lean startups, you know, people who are science-minded, but they don't have a lot of funds. You know, how do you hook investors? How do you get people interested? It says, historically, scientists have made their discoveries, and then any commercial potential known to the larger world uh, mostly gets done through the scholarly publications they have. But it talks about how academic literature is often behind paywalls and not many people see it and all that sort of thing. Um, and so it talks about there's other ways to promote discoveries. Uh, one of the things on the Nature blog recently has been some information about using social marketing, for example, to tell people about discoveries, you know, and how you're formulating products and, and that sort of thing and trying to, you know, cash in on the potential in that way. So it often ta it says here, um, researchers themselves can strike out as entrepreneurs, creating or spinning out for-profit companies that are based on technologies that were developed in their academic institutions. So 
I can point people to that too, the nature.com or naturejobs.com blog. And there's another one from that same blog, and it when it, it's called uh, Entrepreneurship with Steve Blank. And these are free. Uh, this is uh, 10 April 2014. And it says, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? This is by Julie uh, Gould. And she says, I spoke with Steve Blank, associate professor at Stanford's engineering school. He's also a lecturer at UC Berkeley Haas Business School. So he's got a little bit of each side there. It says, in the past, scientists were told by investors to write a business plan with a five-year projection and then execute said business plan. And it said, although this worked for large companies, maybe not so much for the small companies, and I'm paraphrasing here. But it says, this, said Steve, was where things were going wrong. Instead of attempting to execute, startups uh, should be searching, he says. And searching cannot be done just in the lab. This was the key message to take away. An invention won't turn into anything with commercial value unless you get out there and speak to people. And, of course, I think that's the risk, of course, for uh, if somebody's a nutrition nerd or if they're in the lab too much. You know, how do you get these discoveries out? It says um, they talk about the lean startup movement and a book that basically articulated that what you've really got, if you think like a nerd, is untested hypotheses. You know, you have a product and you think that it's going to meet a certain need, but you're really making a projection statement. You don't really know for sure. So you need to sort of test that hypothesis. So it says uh, Steve's student, Eric Reese, who's a best selling author of The Lean Startup, he said this means that instead of building the entire product on day one, uh, we can actually build the product incrementally uh, and iteratively. You know, so it says if any, for example, if you think you have certain ideas that's going to connect you with your uh, target market, and again, if you think product, service, whatever, you're often a little bit off the mark. You might be mostly on the mark, but uh, basically it says, first of all, if, if everybody's turning down your idea, you know, you might not have the right market fit. Um, but even if you do have more or less the right fit, what pans out of what people are really looking for might be not exactly what you think they're looking for, if that makes any sense. Like they might already feel like they have access to that in some way or that it's not quite as new or what you think is great about it might not be exactly what the market wants. So I think this whole blog post is basically about, you know, if you think you're right – you know, you hope that like investors will come running to you and people will just everything will be honky dory. But that's not always going to be the case. So it says here's a quote. I think it goes back to what uh, is a founder and what is commercialization. At this point, you need to decide how committed you are to your potential product. If you're just a scientist with something that you think might make some money, but you don't want to go out and find out. Uh, it says stay in the lab and continue to work with your wonderful research. But it says it's the crazy ones who want to do this. It's what he calls, Steve calls the artists. Artists have something inside them that they want to bring to fruition and actually see the tangible result of. And that's what made me think about you, Eric, because when we were talking about this and I looked at the Go Bread product, it looked very professional. It's like you've actually made something tangible and real, you know, out of a, a concept. And um, so it's really interesting how these a lot of these blogs on nature.com, they talk about testing your market a little bit, really getting to know them and seeing things through their eyes and that sort of thing and trying not to make too many um, predictions and let, until you, you know, test your hypothesis, test the waters a little. And then finally, the last bit of news, which is not a blog, this is from nutritioninsight.com. Uh, Gandine, or Ganadine, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, receives U.S. probiotic patent on coffee, tea, and cereal. So here's an example of, you know, making a product from an idea. It, uh, this is from April 30th, so it's spanking new. It says, um, Gandin Biotech, or again, uh, Ganadin, however you pronounce that, uh, has announced the issuance of a United States patent that covers the use of all bacillus coagulins in all coffee, tea, and cereal. The issuance of this patent protects the use of bacillus coagulans probiotic strains in coffee, tea, and cereal applications. So why is this patentable? What are they doing? It says the probiotic industry is growing rapidly. I think a lot of listeners know this. With no indication that it will be slowing down anytime soon, by 2015, the market's expected to reach $31.1 billion, with a B. Um, wow. 
with about 90% of that from the sale of functional foods and beverages. And then further, it says there's a lot of consumer buy-in. 80% of consumers are associating probiotics with a health benefit now. Um, Anyway, it goes on to say that spore-forming probiotic organisms, such as the one that this company has developed, are the only ones that, that apparently can survive the harsh manufacturing or heat processes that are associated with making hot tea and coffee and, and hot cereal. There are other non-spore-forming probiotics, like uh, lactobacillus you might have heard of, but they're unable to form a protective layer, and apparently they get destroyed in certain products. So anyway, brand new, this company just got the patent to go ahead and take this uh, probiotic that can survive heat, it sounds like, uh, and actually bring it to market. So it's it's an example that sort of follows that nature blog, I think, that you can actually commercialize uh, a product when you have the right sort of sciency idea. So having said that, um, let's get back with Eric and Corey. And uh, if you guys can tell us, I mean, obviously – you have a background in athletics, both of you guys, and that probably had some role in wanting to eat healthy and create this product. So let's start with you guys. So, uh, Corey, how about you? So what got you into sports and what led you to this whole nutrition product idea? Well, yeah, um, I've always been an athlete, you know, since I was five years old, I always had you know a natural coordination I was naturally athletic and that's pretty much what got me into sports I mean naturally you if you're good at something you want to do more of it um, so I was a natural athlete and and Eric can vouch for me here because we both went to high school together but uh, in terms of nutrition I was until Eric slapped me upside the face my sophomore year of college and, and really kind of turned me on to, you know, the benefits of nutrition in, in terms of uh, athletic performance. Um, you know, I always tell people I graduated high school. Surprisingly enough, I played football and baseball, and I, I graduated high school probably about 155, maybe 160 soaking wet. I mean, I was a, a string bean, and I'm six foot one, so not a lot of muscle on my body, and I, I got to college, uh, and my first day of practice I, I looked around and went whoa I'm uh, I'm playing with a bunch of men now this is going to be a problem um, and that's I, I had to redshirt as a result I wasn't I wasn't physically capable of, of playing at the collegiate level at the time uh, and I redshirted and that's when I, I knew Eric was was always into nutrition and exercise so I called him up and said hey man we, we got to do something here uh, and because we're really good friends, he actually came came out and stayed a summer with me. Um, taught me pretty much everything I know about you know nutrition and, and exercise and how those need to be paired together in order to reach your athletic goals. And uh, you know over that summer, I put on about twenty five pounds of lean muscle mass and and had the uh, best season of my career the following season. And uh, set a school record for stolen bases, and, and got a Division One scholarship. And those, you know, those are things that I, I don't think I would have been able to accomplish had had I not consulted Eric and, and learned some of the things that I've learned. Okay, Eric, what about you? Now I know you have a lifting background um, as well, and at one point you yes. lost a lot of weight. And so maybe tell yes. us your origin story there. Yeah, so I mean, my passion really began um, probably around 12 or 13 years old um, when I lost weight. So I was about uh, over 200 pounds in sixth grade, which for you know sixth grader frame is quite a lot. And I actually remember one time um, jumping on the scale and realizing that I weighed more than my dad did, and it was kind of, uh, I guess, a reality check. And so from that moment on, I actually started renting books from the library about nutrition, about exercise. Um, I remember reading a book called The Abs Diet, which uh, just basically talks about superfoods and um, how you can incorporate uh, just whole food nutrition in losing weight and being healthy. And um, so I lost about 90 pounds um, going into eighth grade and then I actually joined football 
at that time. And, and it was a pretty amazing experience for me because after I lost all that weight, I felt like I had a new body. You know, I was more agile. I could run faster. And um, kind of compounding on that, we were also introduced to weight training. And that's, I really just kind of uh, felt like it was something I'd been missing all my life. You know, I've, even though I played football, I was never very competitive uh, from like a sports perspective, but I kind of liked the innate competition with yourself that weight training provides. And so ever since that moment, I've been, uh, haven't been able to put down the weights. You know, bodybuilding has been a, a big part of my life. And going on into school, I uh, developed my passion for nutrition even further as I was exposed to biochemistry and kind of learning what goes on under the hood. Um, you know, my desire to learn more and more about nutrition just grew from there. Okay, yeah. All right, sounds good, fellas. So I'll tell you what, uh, we are going to quickly go to break. When we come back, uh, we're going to dive into how you actually got into business. I know you you're in, you have a Kickstarter going right now. You can explain how that works a little bit to people who aren't familiar. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, why you decided to actually throw yourself out there into a Kickstarter, you know, and try to get some, some crowdfunding and whatnot. Uh, but we'll do that when we get back. Okay. Sounds good. Awesome. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. <laughs> Okay, everybody, we're back, and uh, before we get back with uh, Corey and Eric, I just wanted to talk about a startup of my own. Uh, the, this weekend was the first year of my federation, so USSF. Uh, we had our nationals, so I just wanted to talk about that for a minute and congratulate cool. the lifters. So um, on, on the women's powerlifting nationals, came Meisel won with a 690-pound total. Oh, nice. Uh, mm -hmm. A big 325-pound deadlift. Um, so she took home some money. Sam Cox came in and shocked everybody. At 239 pounds of body weight, he get a, got a 1935-pound total. Oh, So nice. 785 squat, 785 squat, 400 bench, 750 deadlift at, at 239 raw. 
Uh, so that's wraps in a belt. Good. Um, it's <laughs> and men's nationals raw raw for us means you get to wear nothing so no belt no wraps or anything oh. uh zach best won with a 16 15 total so 560 squat 620 deadlift 435 bench um and then women's olympic weightlifting maria guerrero won with a 182 kilo total so and then other than that, we had the state meet at the same time, and it was our biggest one yet. So we got like 50 new lifters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, big, big 198-pound class. There were a, a bunch of guys crossing the 500-pound barrier on deadlifts and and crossing the 400-pound barrier on bench in the 198 class. Um, wow. Yeah, James Joseph Sutko won that. Uh, it was his first meet, and he's a 242er. For his, at his first meet, he lifted 1675 total. So very nice, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, competitive federation. We got it coming along, and it went well for year one. Um, we're knocking doors down, and then this year we're starting up with strong man, and I think we've already got twelve meets coming up. So uh, should be really should be good. fun. Now, just to clarify, I know that some of those athletes were yours. Were all of those from your gym, or no? No, no. I only had how many people did I have competing? A lot of my lifters were out of it. Because um, I know K is. Yeah, we had one, two. Three, four, five. I had about eight. Okay. About eight lifters. So, um, and then I had a few more in the state meet that hadn't they hadn't qualified for nationals. And then I sat out. I was qualified, uh, but I had to run the damn thing. So <laughs> I, I sat out to run the meet. Right. But uh, yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. We had a lot of big lifters, and I think we caught a lot of attention because we're we're the only federation out there giving money away. So like Sam walked away with four hundred dollars. So, it's Good. not bad. Yeah. yeah. You know, that be- almost begs the question, does that make them professional? We've talked about that before, when you're winning prize money. But then, the more I've been educated about strength sports is, it's being professional <laughs> is when you start identifying yourself as professional. Yeah, exactly. It, you That's know, all so. it is. So, it's like, yeah. So, so, I mean, and to my understanding, like, say I have a baseball player do it, and they they can't make money playing baseball. If they do, then they're a professional. Yeah, but right. if they like came in and did powerlifting and won some money, well, who cares? You know, right? They're, so, I think I may have seen even a picture. Uh, I think it was a picture of your meet. I don't know. I saw some. I think it was on our Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and they were saying, you know, nice job. You know, people winning a lot of money. You know that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it was so. it was a good meet. I That's think we we got good. a lot of lifters looking at us now, especially with like Sam's total going up and Ray, who was in second place with an eighteen hundred pound total. <laughs> So yeah, it, it's helping helping the sport, and then the money given away. I think we're getting noticed too. So I think we'll have. I'll be very surprised if nationals isn't really big in year two. So yeah, yeah. awesome, awesome. <clears throat> well, speaking of money, um, let's get back with Eric and Corey. Then, uh, guys, tell me about your Kickstarter. It was was the Kickstarter. Um, Near the beginning of this product, did you develop your Go Bread product specifically to launch it on Kickstarter? Uh, just tell me about the whole process, somebody. We, we really didn't uh, design it for Kickstarter per se. It's kind of been a progression. Okay. You know, you were talking about uh, that book by Eric Reese, The Lean Startup, is something we've actually both read. Oh, and so okay. when we started the venture, we wanted to, to start small and kind of let things develop organically. And, and really through this whole process, that's how it's sort of progressed. You know, so um, from when we first started trying recipes to when we locked those recipes down that we wanted to use, we decided we'd first start at the farmer's market to kind of introduce the idea. And um, yeah, that was the most inexpensive way to test our assumptions was that, and you're assuming people are going to like it, but you really don't know until you try right um and the farmer's markets for us were the most inexpensive way the least costly of ways to bring a product to market and actually test it uh amongst real consumers so so to answer your question the kickstarter has kind of been the next step in the progression for us so that was last summer that we uh had a lot of success at the farmer's markets people really liked it we had a lot of repeat customers so we said hey you know we we have something here that people enjoy um, and so and over, we, we did make some adjustments to our products yes. as well, which is, is what Eric Reese goes over in that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't just 
necessarily have a concept and turn it directly into like you know this giant product line without making some adjust adjustments on the, along the way. Exactly. Uh, we had two flavors that pretty much flopped on their face yeah. that we pulled. Um, we made adjustments um, based on suggestions customers were giving us. Uh, we took a lot of feedback into account, and it, it actually took about a year from concept uh, to actually get a product that we felt really comfortable with in terms of uh, taking the next step and scale business a little bit, uh, which is what we're doing in the Kickstarter. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the, the Kickstarter we worked on for about uh, pretty much the whole winter, and we really wanted to refine it and make it look professional, something that would get people excited. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of just been the next step in the progression. Okay. Hey, let's take a quick step back then and uh, tell the listeners what Go Bread is. And I don't want to make this a commercial, obviously. The whole purpose is to teach people how you guys went through the whole business creation process, of course. But so it's important, though, for I think people to understand what is this stuff. Yeah, well, Go Bread is uh, it's really what we wanted was at first to make kind of uh, an alternative to the common protein bar. You know, I love protein bars. I've had every brand out there. And we wanted to make something that um, just was different in, in texture, not nutritionally. We wanted it to have uh, similar protein uh, as, as a protein bar and to be all around nutritious. But as we kind of um, rolled it out, People were really enjoying it as a breakfast snack. So GoBread has really become uh, the best well-rounded breakfast um, as far as being convenient and also giving you all the macronutrients you need to start your day. Okay. So I look at it as kind of both. It kind of fits uh, where you would have a protein bar, but if you want something a little different or if you just want a nice, easy, convenient breakfast, it's perfect for that as well. Yeah, and, and from a marketing standpoint, um, you know, differentiate, differentiating ourselves from pro protein bars was big because that's a completely saturated market. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of breakfast snacks, when, when you think of a convenient breakfast snack, um, you're either getting something that's totally not nutritious, like a donut, um, you know, a bagel, a Pop-Tart. Um, or you're getting something that's incomplete. You know, a lot of people are busy in the morning, and even if they're, you know, have health in mind, they might just grab a piece of fruit or, you know, uh, some hard-boiled eggs. Well, with GoBread, um, we, we kind of took all of those healthy aspects, healthy breakfast snacks, and sort of combined them into one, uh, one product. Okay. Mm -hmm. So... How is the Kickstarter doing? Is it done yet? We have, what is it, three, three days left? Yep, we have and we, we just recently, this past weekend, uh, surpassed our goal. So we uh, will be funded. Nice. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, we are still accepting uh, pledges for the next few days. But uh, we have reached our goal. And uh, that's something that's very exciting because it, it will enable us to scale our business uh, and it'll allow us to get into a commercial baking facility and um, mass produce go bread and get it into some larger retailers and we'll have the ability to sell online as well. So what was the original goal and do you have stretch goals on the Kickstarter? We were going to add a stretch goal if, if we... Um, a comp, like hit our goal early on, but that that wasn't the case. Okay. Um, but you asked what our, our original goal was. Right. Yeah. Why we ran it? We uh, the big thing uh, for us to get in with uh, a co-packer, this commercial bakery that's that essentially will be producing dough bread for us under our uh, strict guidelines. Um, in order to get in there, we needed to purchase packaging. And, um, you know, without getting too into the print industry and how it works, uh, we had to buy a certain quantity of packages um, in order for us to be profitable. Basically, okay. uh, if you, the lower the quantity 
you purchase, um, the higher your unit cost is. Sure. And we needed to buy a certain quantity of packaging uh, in order to lower our unit cost enough to where we could make a profit on every single unit. Okay. So was, uh, was it 10000 25000 How much did you need to make this happen? Uh, in dollars or in or dollars, packages. yeah, ten thousand. Okay, uh, and that was encompassing the packaging. Uh, we have some, Eric's. You've got. We have some things with the FDA we need to do, right? Uh, yeah, we have to get uh, the nutrition facts. If you want to be in a retail establishment, it has to be um, what it's called a a database analysis. So okay. we basically submit our product to a company that runs this FDA-approved database analysis, because um, the nutrition facts as they are, I just calculated. So they're probably very close. I mean, all you have to do is compile all the nutrition facts from every ingredient, do a little math, and you can work it out. Mm -hmm. But um, that's one of the things we have to pay for. For each recipe, you have to have that done. Shelf life testing. Shelf life thing. testing, yep. Things beyond just the packaging that we need as well. Right. What does all that kind of thing cost? So, if we have listeners, for example, not that I want to spawn um, competitors for you guys, <laughs> but if we had listeners, like if they are, oh, I have an idea for the, uh, some kind of protein bar. I, I know you said that market was saturated. I agree. But what what kind of fees are we talking about to get yourself officially tested for macros and calories and all that for a commercialization? Uh, those for, for each recipe can run around uh, two to two hundred and fifty dollars a piece. Okay. And mm -hmm. and it, it depends on who you want to go with. It also depends on what your product is. It's kind of interesting. If you want to do, um, let's say beef jerky, and beef jerky has a brine, and they can't use a database analysis for certain brines and seasonings and spices. They actually have to do a lab test. Okay. I'm not sure exactly how they do that, but that's far more expensive. That's actually about uh, four times as expensive per product as the database. And that's it's when he's saying per product, he's talking about per skew in yeah. business terms. So yeah. it's for each flavor that you're testing. Mm. It's not just a product line. Right, yeah. With all this in mind, uh, how important – I've got a two-part question. Maybe this is each of you guys, but – so how critical is it to have someone with a nutrition education, and then how critical is it to have somebody with a very specific business education if you want to launch some kind of a, you know fitness, wellness, food product? It's, um, I would say it's equally critical yes. to have both. <laughs> Imperative. It's, and even as, as we're growing as a small business, you just realize how important it is to find people who – you know, master one craft or who speak a certain language because it's uh, it's tough to do it all on your own. Mm -hmm. You know, so so networking is so huge. You you hear it since you're a very young age that it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I think it's a combination of what you know and what other people know, and being able to to um, kind of combine forces, so to speak, to get something accomplished is huge. Okay, so, yeah, that makes sense. Couldn't agree more. Um, it, it's all who you know, and I, I wish I'd have known you guys uh, 60 days ago because I run a marketing and promotions business as well, and I sell packaging and labels and shirts and banners. And so, I mean, I've even done stuff for, like, all, all Jim Windler stuff I do, shirts and books. And, hell, we've done stuff for Hills Pet Nutrition as far as labels and well, we, uh, all that stuff. So. We'll be buying a lot of T-shirts coming yeah. up soon. Yeah. So uh, we uh, might want to get in touch. Yeah. Networking. Uh, talk about that. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I even do like pick, pack, and ship. Mark Bell with his slingshot line and stuff. Any you buy shirts, I ship them out of here. I create them, ship them, and package them up. So cool. So yeah. Well, well let me ask good. you, Phil. What I wanted to ask you was in the fitness industry itself. <laughs> uh huh. Do you don't you think a lot of people they get into it because they're very enthusiastic, they're very passionate about fitness, but they they just don't have any business savvy at all. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And well, I, and. Like they're talking about, both is critical. You've got to be – you have to be passionate about the industry, but you also need somebody that's passionate about business. I've seen a lot of gyms fail. There's one right down the street where, well, the kid's very passionate, but he doesn't know much of anything. Uh, passion okay. only takes you so far. <laughs> so, you know, his profits are, are not doing well, and you see him begging for money every month. So and that's no way to run a business. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, you, you got to have both. You know, there's got to be a balance. For sure. I see the uh, parallels with any kind of uh, small businesses. You know, you see people start these sort of niche markets and hobby shops and these different kinds of things, and they do it because they love what they're doing. But I think they're so in love with what they're doing, they don't think about the monthly or the weekly ins and outs. You know, they yes. don't even do like a any kind of financial analysis to realize, hey, I just bought a storefront in this little plaza. Yes. You know, and it's twenty five hundred dollars a month and mm-hmm. I don't have any ability to make that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. Uh, that kind of stuff. Um, no, everybody yeah. everybody sees the money coming in, like I'm gonna sell twenty of these and they don't they, they never look at the money they need to you know, to exist as a business. Yeah. Um well one thing I wanted to mention too, just kind of a side note that's sort of interesting, uh, going along with passion um and sort of what the initial stages of of go bread before it was go bread started with a different product it was actually um something i was sort of inspired by in school which uh i took an international foods class and i was learning about entomophagy and entomophagy is human insect consumption and i thought for some reason the topic was very intriguing because uh over 80 percent of the world practices entomophagy and one of the only countries that doesn't is the United States mm-hmm. and uh, when you look at the facts it's it's pretty intriguing that you know um, as far as let's say insects compared to beef protein uh, just the ratio of fat to protein with with an insect the fat is so very low and the proteins extremely high mm-hmm. and it also has a, a lot of fiber in this the exoskeleton chitin and uh, even from you know, an environmental standpoint, I think it's something like one gallon of water is all you need for a pound of insect protein versus uh, 2,000 gallons for a pound of beef protein. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was, um, all of a sudden, it was like a, a light bulb. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, why haven't we utilized insect protein as a protein source mm. in some sort of food? And so we were kind of going after um, creating an insect protein bar which um, actually since then has been done. There's two companies, Exo and uh, Chapool, and Chapool was just on Shark Tank not too long ago. Oh. And Mark Cuban actually funded his, uh, his business. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the initial idea, but it's sort of, you know, I was trying to create a protein bar that um, was unique and still tasted very... Uh, delicious and, and original and it was actually my mom who made the first baked go bread she she kind of made a baked That's protein right. bar yeah. yeah so that was just kind of an interesting step in the evolution and we kind of sidestepped there, there are no bugs in go bread yeah we <laughs> we we yeah we disclaimer there are yeah. no bugs no. in go bread <laughs> <laughs> yeah we first came together to you know form a business or at least talk about forming one over that idea the the what we were calling it i guess bug bar mm-hmm. at the time over the you know few months that we started testing uh different recipes and stuff we could not get them to taste remotely good eric's the type of person <laughs> eric's the type of person who will eat dirt if he knows it's good for him yeah i, I hear it yeah and and i'm not i'm the complete opposite i i um, told Eric, you know, if we're ever going to bring something to market, I have to like it first because your taste buds are unreliable in terms, yeah. in terms of mass market appeal. You yeah. know, I and wonder I, how many of our listeners fall into that. I hear that all the time. Like, my mom's like, Lana, you don't know what's good anymore. You know, you've eaten so strictly for so long. You know, you're not even a good barometer of what's good anymore. Right. You know, I feel like that's me too. That's I, I need Corey to, to kind of, uh, Give me the more realistic perspective. <laughs> I mean, you should see what this kid will throw into a, a food processor. It'll amaze you. I've seen him throw, like, grapefruit rinds in there and just for extra fiber. Yeah. Don't even get me started on, like, the tuna shakes that I used to drink. <laughs> yeah. Not good. Not good. <laughs> All right. So Go Bread is it's higher fiber and protein. Is that the general concept? What else is good about it? Or can you give us some information, like nutrition facts kind of things? Yeah, each one is going to be about uh, 8 grams of protein, and each square, it's about the size of a standard muffin, about 55 grams, um, around 100 calories. So usually when I eat it for breakfast, I'll have two. Um, And we try to use 
a, a blend of protein sources. So we have uh, 90% whey isolate, uh, egg whites, and then also casein from Greek yogurt. Um, some of the other powerhouse ingredients we use are gluten-free oats and flaxseed meal to up the fiber and get some omega fatty acids in there. Okay. So um, other than that, we, we try to use as much applesauce as we can to sweeten it, but we use a little cane sugar as well to, to up the sweetness a little bit too. Right. Now, your target market, I'm guessing, is, is not just athletes or certainly lifters, but it's anybody who's doesn't have time to grab a – you know, a quality breakfast. Is that the idea? Exactly. Yeah. Whoever, whoever's having a busy morning and still wants to eat a nutritious and, a, a you know, a complete breakfast in terms of pro all the macronutrients, um, we've got it for you. Okay. Um, and it's just convenience is the, is the main draw with go bread. You know, we would tell people at farmer's markets, you know, you could, you could make oatmeal, you could scramble up some eggs and have a piece of fruit, or you could have a piece of go bread. Okay, um, yeah. that's mm -hmm. really what we've done is we've taken a, a fruit element, uh, with the exception of, of uh, chocolate oat, which we use um, pinto beans. Yeah, pinto bean puree is unique to that flavor. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I've actually made white bean and pinto uh, flour pancakes, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That would be They're really good. good. They work great. They oh, bake, yeah. They bake terrific. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we try to incorporate a fruit element. Obviously, protein is is crucial, and uh, you know, some a blend of complex and simple carbohydrates to get your energy levels up and then sustain your energy levels over time. And what's great is when you eat two. I think it's probably be, Eric could probably speak to this better than me, but I think it's probably because of the protein levels. You you stay satiated pretty much until lunch. I mean, you, you may not think that you'd stay full eating two of them uh, just by looking at them, but, but they keep you full for, for quite some time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So a lot of the ingredients in there, they seem like traditional, almost weightlifter kinds of foods when we're trying to be really clean, you know, with the clean, mm -hmm. like uh, casein and, you know, there's low glycemic carbs in there and all that kind of stuff. How do you guys pack? I can't remember exactly from the packaging. I remember being impressed by it, but is it a six pack? And how how many do you sell at a time? And, and what's the price point on this kind of stuff? We um, last year, and I guess still currently, we sell a two pack. So just like you would, our our recommended serving size, two squares. Okay. Um, that's how we've sold it in the past. And we still currently sell it that way now, although uh, we are changing that um, to a four-pack. So you get four individual squares. Uh, and we're doing that because we're really just mimicking what some of the competition does on the, on the retail market in, in terms of, you know, grocery stores. Okay. You know, right now we sell our two-packs at coffee shops and um, farmer's markets. But those are, you know, quick convenience, you know, shopping places. You know, those aren't places where you go and get your week's worth of food. So when we decided, hey, you know, we want to take these to grocery stores, uh, we started looking at what some of the competitors were doing and Smart. started yep. figuring out, you know, okay, how are we going to be able uh, to compete and, and sustain ourselves here uh, with some larger wholesale accounts? Uh, and that's how we decided to sell four um, squares and yes about price right so uh, I didn't mention that we sold our two pack at farmers markets uh, for four dollars still the same price and uh, because we're having a co-packer produce the go bread uh, this time around for the four packs uh, we wouldn't be able to give like the quantity discount that we we're looking to give so we're keeping it at the same price Oh. Uh, it'll be eight dollars for the four pack. So essentially, you're paying uh, two dollars for a 55 gram square. Okay. And then, what what kind of uh, you know cost analysis is involved here, as far as like what goes into making one? And you don't have, you guys don't have to share all your gory details, but what are products like? I mean, is it the? I know different. Obviously, food products have a different return compared to the cost that goes into the ingredients and the baking and all that, but. So as far as what it, what you sell it for versus what you make it for, what's typical in the market? And again, I, are you asking you're asking for our margins? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, 
Or at least what's common to the market, right? Okay, yeah. Common marketplace margins are usually um, right around 50%. Mm -hmm. But that's going to change um, depending on who you're selling it to. So, you know, if you're selling directly to uh, the end user from making it yourselves, your margins are going to be a lot higher than they would if you were to sell to, you know, a wholesale account like Whole Foods or a store like that, who would then, they'd want you to sell to to them at a discount so they could, um, you know, make a profit on it, obviously. So on average, I would say, you know, margins are about 50%. Uh, in terms of wholesale accounts, and then you can pretty much double that uh, if you were to sell that directly to the end user. Gotcha. Um, it's it's interesting. I, I kind of want. I think it'll be good for some of your listeners to realize this. You know, you know, a lot of concepts sound really great, and this is where Eric and I sort of clash sometimes um, because some ingredients are absolutely you know through the roof in terms of pricing. And you know your idea might sound great, but your end product might be priced way out of your target market. And so you know those are some of the business things you have to take into account. You know when when you're forming a, a product like this, and um, I think that's also why you see a lot of really like you know artificial or, or I call them crap ingredients in a lot of foods, and it's. It's more of a business decision than anything else. They're they're trying to squeeze every last penny out of every last product they can, which is why you get something like high fructose corn syrup instead of sugar. Or you know, there's a million different examples to go over. But you know, when you're in the natural food business like us, you really have to be careful uh, with ratios and you know. Like Eric's always wanting to throw a little bit more whey protein in our product, and it is by far the most costly uh, ingredient that we that we uh, purchase. Egg whites are up there as well, um, but that's just something you know for for any of the listeners out there who are thinking about maybe bringing a concept to market. Uh, you have to keep that in mind. Um, you want to be able to have a, a large enough market for your product. You don't want to price yourself out of uh, being able to have a sustainable business. Right. Yeah, I just wanted to, I I appreciate the instruction for everybody because that's exactly what I was getting at. You know, when you think about food costs, narrow margins, you know, that kind of thing, like typically when I think if there's a very thin margin, uh, then you better move a huge volume, you know what I mean, in order to make that pay off. But for startups, that's very hard to do that. You know what I mean? And hence the Kickstarter and everything else. Now, before I move on, because I got one last question for you, but uh, before I even ask that, for people who aren't familiar with Kickstarter, can you just explain crowdfunding to everybody just in case I haven't touched on that enough? Yeah, so crowdfunding is is a great opportunity for any startup company. And the cool thing about Kickstarter is it's not just – Food products per se, that's just one piece of the pie. Whether it's technology or clothing or anything that you might be interested in, it really gives uh, people an opportunity to throw something out there and see, hey, if you like this, if you believe in this, then you're not just donating to it, but you're actually being the first to get it. You know, you're, you're a group of the early adopters, the people who truly believe in something before it even exists in some cases. And so it's, it's a cool opportunity for people like us who are starting out. And uh, it's, it's definitely something that I think, you know, wasn't really available 10 years ago. So that something like Kickstarter is really going to give an opportunity to a, a lot of small businesses. And, and as I was saying, you, you're not necessarily just donating, but you're going to get something in return, which is, you know, attractive to people who just browse Kickstarter to see what's new on there. Another really nice thing about Kickstarter is, uh, as a company, you don't have to give up any equity uh, in order to raise the funds. Which is, um, you know, if you were to raise, run a fundraiser uh, five years ago, that wouldn't be the case. You'd be giving up a percentage of your company. Uh, with Kickstarter, you get to keep all of your company, and and like Eric said, you're really just running the first pre-sale on your product. Uh, or service or whatever it is you're trying to bring to market. Um, so it's really nice. It's it's very 
beneficial to the to the founders of the company. You know, um, a lot of companies will get the ownership will get diluted right away because they're they're getting more traditional forms of funding, either venture capital or angel investors. They all want a, a, a chunk of your business, and with Kickstarter, um, you get to keep all. of it. Right. I can see the appeal because you're doing that test market, almost going back to that whole Steve Blank, Eric Reese thing, you know, where you can test the waters in a sense. And, and like Eric, like you were saying, people get to be involved. It's with some of these creative products or uh, projects, you can actually, you know, appear in the video game in some way. You know what I mean? Or it, you know, you actually become a part of the creative process. And I think people love to be in on the ground floor and somehow feel like they've had a say in something you know and then on your side you guys get to do uh market testing almost i mean if the kickstarter doesn't fly maybe you need to go back to the drawing board a little all right so i have one last question for you fellas um what about tips for for budding entrepreneurs that are listening if they want to start a fitness business or even come up with a product you know like phil mentioned the slingshot uh or if there's a nutrition product can you guys think of, just off the top of your head, I know that I, I'm blindsiding you with this, but what tips would you have for someone who has a concept and they'd like to actually make a product or a service and bring that to market? Um, first and foremost, I would say find a niche, right? Find you know what makes you better than what's out there currently, you know? And then from there, define that, you know, make sure people, I guess you'd say market it, but, you know, you want to position yourself to where uh, you, know, you can communicate what you're seeing, you know, in, in a marketplace, in, in terms of a marketplace, you want to communicate that to your target audience. But it's really, how can you differentiate yourself? Okay, everybody, we're back. There was a little bit of an internet breach there, uh, but we've got uh, Eric and Corey on the phone just to sort of close out. So Corey was offering a tip or two about budding entrepreneurs. Um, any final thoughts on that before we let you go? Um, yeah, I think I, t I don't know where we got cut off here, but I was, I was talking about differentiation and really positioning yourself in a unique corner in the marketplace and sort of defining that to your target market. That's that's really big. I mean with us we did that's when we realized, you know, hey, there's an opportunity here, you know, with the breakfast market, let's go ahead and position GoBread to be the perfect solution to uh, you know, convenient breakfast. You know, that and um, you know, with with Eric and I, you know, this is something that you know, it started as an idea, it started as a concept, and at some point, you really, you got to take the leap, Yeah. you know, and at some point, it has to stop being a hobby, and it has to be a business, and that's a big jump for a lot of people, and, um, you know, it, looking back on it, I'd say we took the leap about two years ago, mm -hmm. um, and it's every moment, I mean, there are been plenty of highs and lows between now and then, um, but everything you accomplish is ultra rewarding, and I'm not sure that, um, you know, if you follow a traditional career path that, that you would necessarily experience that, and, you know, it's not for everybody, but, um, you know, I think if, if you feel like you have the itch, you feel like you have a great concept that, uh, you know, could make some waves in the marketplace and you should really just take the leap because you never want to be, you know, looking back and, and going smacking yourself when someone 10 years from now comes out with your idea, which I'm sure happens to people all the time. Right. Yeah, I would say, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta dive in at some point and really go for it. It's, yeah. And, and even before that, you know, even from a uh, more of a development perspective, um, when you when you have an idea, especially if it's something that you're passionate about, you know, don't be afraid to write it down. Even draw pictures. That's that's what's kind of helped me this whole progression is that I keep a running uh, documentation as as things move along. And you know, start small. And if you have a concept or an idea, bring it to even friends and family 
clients, people you know, and get it out there and see what people think. And that's the first step in kind of starting uh, that progression of of letting things grow organically and, and letting the product itself kind of take on a life of its own. And, and, you know, that's half the fun. The rest of the ride is just kind of watching this thing develop and manifest, which is a really exciting process. Okay, so this has begged one final question. I know I said that was it, but so when you make this leap, um, I'm guessing you got to hold down a job. So when do you do this? I mean, or do you literally, did you guys quit your jobs and just jump into this? I mean, what what is, what happens there? Well, we, we've literally found, uh, uh, I guess you could call it a balance, just <laughs> working as much as you can on your passion, on the business that you're pursuing. But, you know, I'm also a part-time personal trainer, so I fill in the gaps as much as I can with, um, a job that's flexible and, okay. and for for me personal training really fit the bill as far as it's you know something I'm passionate about already and it also has that flexibility there but you know it can be tough and like Corey said making the jump maybe you save save up for a couple of years and during that process you know you're jotting these ideas down or maybe test marketing some things you're making in your kitchen if it's a nutrition product for example but at some point yeah you have to kind of kind of cross over i guess or, or make that leap yeah that's in fact i i for the first two years out of college for me i had a regular nine to five job i was brokering aircraft parts um for a couple of years and making pretty good money doing it um and i had to quit that in order to start this and that's that's that is a big leap i mean quitting quitting a job and and quitting um you know, giving up a guaranteed income is uh, something that can be pretty frightening. Sure. Um, but that's part of taking that leap of faith. And and I have found a couple part-time jobs, uh, although they feel like full-time jobs with everything that's going on, um, that work around our schedule. I, I baseball coach in this, in this building, so it's really easy for me to transfer from from our office to, uh, you know, and put my baseball cap on and start coaching some kids. And I also uh, bartend part-time. And actually, you know, in terms of an income, uh, if people are thinking, hey, I need a part-time job um, that works around my work schedule, I can't think of a better job than bartending. I mean, you're, you end up turning into an insomniac. But, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's it's been able to sustain me um, as we kind of work to grow our business. And I don't know what I would do if I hadn't found that part-time job, really. Right. And yet, at the same time, it sounds like you guys have a higher purpose where you're willing to put up with something that's a little bit part, more part-time or mundane because it feeds your ultimate goal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everything that we've done for the past two years um, is working towards getting this business to where it can be our our way of life where we can earn a living off of this you know that's our and that's a long-term goal you know it's not something that you're going to be able to flip around you know in a day or two especially in a product business i think people get hung up on you know they hear that instagram turned you know the founders got a billion dollars after 18 months or something and unfortunately you know, we're not in the uh, technology business, uh, and and a product or, or even a service like a fitness service, you know, that's going to take a decent amount of time and effort to generate some real profits for you to where you can earn a living off. It. Yeah, we had actually done a show, uh, oh, many months ago, even years ago. Uh, called When We Grow Up, and we are talking about some of the realities. I mean, I just had a, a young man, a student in my office, probably three weeks ago, and he was saying, 50 grand a year, that sucks, how can you live on that? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I, you, you need to adjust <laughs> You need to adjust yourself back to reality if you're going to be in the fitness yeah. you know, market. Or, you know, or I think I shocked him, but I said, I think your goal when you graduate is to have enough money to have an apartment and a car and go from there, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's just it's amazing because I think people hear about some of these clinical jobs or they hear about some of the stuff like you said, like tech jobs or something else. And people are making astronomical salaries 
and I, most of the people I know in fitness and wellness, they do it largely. They pay their dues sometimes for years. You know, they do it out of a sense of uh, love for what they do. Yeah, you got to adjust yourself back to reality. I think so. <laughs> yeah, anyway. absolutely. All right, fellas. Well, thank you for your time. I know you guys are just on the phone now, so I'm going to uh, let you go. But I wanted to just thank you because I think uh, based on some of the news that's coming across my desk and some of our listener feedback, it's a very timely thing. Not to mention your Kickstarter is just about to end, and that's that was successful. I'm happy to hear that. So thanks for being on with us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, we're we're um... You know, honored to come on and, and uh, share our story with you and your listeners. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just fun to explore the business side of things every once in a while. I think especially because we do have listeners that are interested in that kind of stuff or even starting their own businesses, and I'm sure it's a learning experience. Oh, yeah, big every day. Every day you learn something. It's No day is the same, yeah. that's for sure. All right, well, thanks again, fellas, and we will see everybody next week. All right, have a good one. Yep, thank you. Hey, sports nutrition fans. Join us in beautiful Clearwater Beach, Florida, June 20 and 21 for the 11th annual ISSN Conference and Expo. You'll learn the latest, greatest sports nutrition from the best minds in the business. Some of our speakers include Juan Carlos Santana, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, Gina Lombardi, and many, many more. You learn about intermittent fasting, how to exercise to offset poor eating, and also nutritional strategies for maintaining or gaining muscle mass. But the best part is you'll get to rub elbows with the best scientists in the business. The ISSN, why would you go anywhere else? Go to www.theissn.org for more information. That's www.theissn.org for more info. See you there. Fortress Fortney. I'm here to tell you about some of the cool new stuff us guys at Iron Radio are bringing your way. Thanks to our loyal supporting members, we have enough cash flow to start migrating to Lipson, arguably the premier podcast host, and one that serves up some very high-end shows and tools. The change will start slowly with a little backup page that can be found right now on the Lipson website. This means our occasional server errors cannot keep the show out of your hands. But as we move more and more content over to the new server, it is going to allow us to do a couple of brand new things. First, we're playing an Iron Radio app for iPhone and Android. Believe it. If you're not sure what RSS feeds are or how to describe in iTunes, apps are a very simple way to get our content, either to by downloading it or even streaming it through the app on a phone or tablet. Even better, you'll occasionally see a little E on an app link that means there's extra content you can access for that show. For example, we can add extended audio to a show, or even pics like wallpapers or science graphs that support what we're saying. The iPhone app even has a search feature. Want the show with Eddie Cohen right now? You'll be able to grab it quickly. Second, you'll see an improved media player on www.ironradio.org. You can download or listen easily right from the home page with no other windows or pop-ups necessary. Third, and maybe best, we'll be adding all new bonus content. Behind the scenes, special interviews, audio articles delivered from co-host personal libraries, on-site coverage, editorials, rants, bloopers, and more. The growth of the show and the new functionality does come with some cost. Starting in June, episodes older than a year 50 shows will become premium content. There are several reasons for this. For one, serving audio to our growing listenership through a big boy system like Lipson costs a bit more. Second, our RSS feed service called FeedBurner has a limit, so this will keep us from having to drop early episodes one at a time as new ones come out. In fact, here's a tip. If you want all the old episodes at zero cost, download them before June 2014. We're telling you now because that's how we roll. So how does premium content work? 
you pick up an inexpensive subscription at my.libsyn.com, which gets you every Iron Radio episode plus new bone dense content that no one else can hear. These subscriptions are very cheap, about 2 to $8, and can be gotten monthly, yearly, etc. Put when you want. Further, if you're a current supporting member through PayPal, we appreciate your ongoing support. Free new content each week is possible because of your dedication. You help thousands of young lifters, or anyone, get news, education, and entertainment that they otherwise might not get. Simply email me through the ironradio.org homepage, and our web guru Lonnie will buy you a year's membership on my Lipson as an iron brother or sister. Finally, let me reiterate, as we grow, we want to keep new episodes free forever while providing better services and content for the whole Iron Army. Thanks 50 times for your ongoing support. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.